Father, once again, we, we come to your word, the written word, which reveals to us the living word. We are all too aware of the things, the barriers, the thoughts, the ideas, the, the mindsets, the distractions that get between us and your spirit and your calling and your work. May this space, as we, as we reflect on your word, in response to worship and fellowship and, and communion, may this space be inundated with your word and your spirit as your people learn, longed to hear from you. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we are, we're in the Gospel of Matthew. We're in the second, uh, the second week of the series. Uh, John, we're in the Gospel of John. Maybe I should have some coffee. Um, we're in the Gospel of John. Um, and uh, we are, we are going to be looking, we're going to start in verse 6 of chapter 1. Um, but there's, there's a few things going on. If you have not been, I mentioned this last week, I mentioned it for the first couple of weeks as I'm doing a series. Um, book studies are, are interesting. Um, I, I, tend to, I tend to kind of study a book very open-ended as we're going through and, and processing it. Um, it's not so much about um, the sermon having a, a punchline at the end um, as it is the journey through the text. Um, I one time wrote, and, and I used to have a blog back when blogs were the thing that everybody had, um, and somehow the things that I wrote on my blog don't translate well to reels and TikTok and all the current media. Um, but uh, I had a blog where one time where I talked about the dis- difference between sermio and homileo. Um, sermio, the word sermon, what we usually use for the thing that the pastor does at the end of the service, right? Um, also known if you're under the age of 10 and you're a DeVitro doodle time. Um, but uh, a sermon tends to be a call to action. The word was actually originally a medieval, it's actually used to describe the, the preaching uh, of a guy named Bernard of Clairvaux uh, who called one of the crusades. The idea of a sermon is, here's what God wants you to do. Um, whereas the idea of a homily, homilia uh, or homileo, um, is the idea of coming alongside of the scriptures and journeying with what the scriptures have to say. So rather than driving toward, this is what I want you to do, rather here is what God has said. Um, and as you journey with us, um, he will lead you into action. Um, he will lead you in. Um, and I've always loved that distinction. Uh, I'm, much more of a, I'm much more of a homily person than a, a sermon pe- person. Um, my dad is a sermon person. Uh, my dad, at the end of every service, will make sure there is some direct call to action that he wants you to do, something specific. Um, and there's nothing wrong with that. I tend to, I tend to be more, uh, I, I, want, I want you to, to take the scriptures and, and listen to the Holy Spirit and see where he's leading you and directing you. And so as we open in verse 5, we're reminded that in chapter 1 and verses 1 through 5, so we're open in verse 6, uh, or verse, yeah, we're open in verse 5, verse 6, I can't see, verse 6, all right, there we go. Um, so as we're, as we're opening here, the, the first five verses of the book of John, John set up uh, the theological realities of Jesus. 
in a very, very concise, very extremely well-written, I mean extraordinarily, possibly one of the finest uh, works of Greek literature and Greek rhetoric in the history, not just the Bible, in all of history, is John 1, 1 through 5. Just a, a masterful exploration of theology and philosophy and, and, and scriptural precedents and, and nature of Christ and all this. And he really just encapsulates the, the eternal realities of Jesus. Um, he, he, he gives us Jesus as, as, as eternally coexistent with the Father, um, the, the co-creator, the, the originator of light, the, the light of the world. All of these things are, are all charged into this, these first five verses. And then in verse six, he starts with the historical realities. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. Now, right about, I'm just going to go ahead and tell you, uh, John was the most common or the second most common name of Jewish people in the first century. So this is a book written by a guy named John, and now he's describing a different guy named John. All right. Um, so you go, how do you keep you, all of them straight? I don't know. Half the time you sit there going, which John are we talking about again? Um, but uh, the author of the Gospel of John is the disciple John, or the Apostle John. Um, he's also the author of 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, and the book of the Revelation. Um, but John the Baptist, the guy that he's describing here, is no relation to him, um, but he was actually, according to the Gospel of Luke, he's actually Jesus' cousin. So I'm just going to get you there. Anyway, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. And he came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become a ch children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So the Apostle John, writing the gospel here, describing John the Baptist, he's going to enter into now the conversation of historical reality. He deals with theology in five verses. He just gives us this uh, tremendous passage, and then he's going to start with history. Now, the reason he starts with John the Baptist, beside the fact that John the Baptist appears in the other three Gospels, is that John the Baptist is a verifiable historical person. Even people who deny the historicity of Jesus, even people who say there never was a person named Jesus uh, who claimed to be the Messiah, and they do exist, even the people who say that cannot deny the existence of John the Baptist. Um, uh, they, they will just, they'll go through loops to prove that Jesus wasn't real, that he's some kind of myth, but they go, but John the Baptist, he was definitely real. Which calls the question, I'm like, there's less about John the Baptist than there is about Jesus. How is that, how does that work? And the answer to that question, by the way, is they don't want Jesus to exist, so they choose to believe he doesn't exist. And that's really the answer to it. But everybody knows that John the Baptist exists. Now, in John's context, John the Baptist was something of a I don't want to call him a folk hero, that's a wrong term. But John the Baptist was something of like a, a, one of those people that he, he just, he lived his life, it was a short life, he didn't live very long. Um, and, his, and so the impact of what he did in the short time he was here 
um, is magnified beyond uh, what he actually did. Now, this is about to sound like a really, really, really weird analogy, but it's somewhat similar to Jimi Hendrix. Now, you go, all right, Eric, I really want to know where you're going with this. How long was Jimi Hendrix on the, the music scene? Three years. And yet, who is the greatest guitar player that ever walked the face of the earth to most guitar players? Jimi Hendrix. Oh my goodness, did you hear Jimi Hendrix? Now I have to tell you, I have some live bootlegs of Jimi Hendrix. I'm not going to tell you how I got them. All right. He was not always a great player. There were times that Jimi Hendrix was downright awful, but we don't hear those. He became something more than what he was. Um, at the time, I mean, he was popular, and he played at Woodstock, and he lit guitars on fire, and he wore, wore scarves on his head and stuff like that. Um, most people don't know Jimi Hendrix was also a veteran. He actually served in the military. Um, but, uh, but he was, and he was a great, he played a right-handed guitar upside down, which is funny. Jimi Hendrix actually could play a right-handed guitar upside down, left-handed, or he could play it right-handed. Um, he was an extraordinary musician, not taken away from him anyway. But his impact has been magnified by the short period that he was around. John the Baptist was only around for a little while. And his impact, specifically because of his relationship with the Herodians, of the, the family of Herod, um, Herod the Great, and then his, uh, his two kids were kind of a mess. One of them married his, his sister-in-law. There's, it's a confusing mess. Um, they become their own cousins, their own nephews, and their own grandparents. They, there's a lot of weird things going on with the Herodians. But John had a conflict with them, and as a result, he was killed. He was beheaded by them. And everybody knew that story. It was a very common story in that ancient world, and it gets mentioned outside of the Bible, this guy John. And so John, the author of the Gospel of John, uses John the Baptist as a touchstone for the historicity of Jesus because most people know that story. Now remember that John, this book, is being written about, about a lifetime, a generation, a, almost two generations after the resurrection of Jesus. So he starts with John, and he just says, there was a man, and he was sent from God whose name was John, all right? Pretty straightforward statement there, right? Not a whole lot going on there. Um, but think about what is being said. So everybody knows about John. Everybody knows about the trouble that he caused for Herod. Everybody knows about him behead, being beheaded. So how does, how does this gospel writer, John, infuse that with a tremendous significance? He says, do you know that John was sent by God? And everybody goes, okay, hold up. Now we want to know more. Because we know what John preached. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light. Now here is where John is going to start picking, the gospel writer John is going to start picking up ideas that you have to follow through the whole book. The, word, the first is, he says, he came to be a witness. Now the Greek word that uh, underlies this is the word we get the word martyr from. Martyr originally meant someone who bears witness, someone who shares testimony. It did not mean somebody that dies. It's taken on a different meaning now. But in Greek, it doesn't mean that you died. It just meant that you were a witness. It is a legal term describing someone who appears before a court of law to bear witness, to share testimony. So this gospel is going to be structured around a legal argument for Jesus to be the Son of God. 
Chapter 21, verse 24, that's how he summarizes it. He's going to say, this is going to be an argument. This is a presentation of the witness of multiple people. The word witness appears in the Gospel of John 14 times, and the, and the verb to bear witness appears 31 times. Over and over and over, different people will bear witness to Jesus. Uh, first is John the Baptist, then we'll get the disciples. They will bear witness first to each other and then to the world. Then the sick, the lame, the blind, they will bear witness about Jesus. Um, they will testify about what Jesus is doing. When you see the word testify, testimony, witness, all the same Greek word. The Samaritan woman in chapter 4 will bear witness of Jesus. She will testify to others of who he is. Um, even Pontius Pilate will bear witness of Jesus. And so John's purpose is to build a legal case for Jesus being the Son of God. Uh, and we'll get into John, John the Baptist's actual testimony when we get down to verse 19. But there's all these people bearing witness of Jesus. Significant points of what they're saying about Jesus. But then John turns it. Then John goes a direction that none of the other gospel writers have gone. When the other gospel writers want to start talking about Jesus, they call Jesus the Christ, the Messiah. The Hebrew word means the anointed one. And it is the longed for uh, returning king. Uh, we talked last week about Matthew as the, the gospel of the king in exile. That, that Jesus is called the Christ. He's called the son of David. He's called the son of man. He has all these titles. And these are all very, very Jewish titles. They're, they're being charged with this, um, with this idea. When Mark talks about Jesus as the son of God, it's in opposition to Caesar being called the son of God. But, but John is going to take a totally different tact. Instead of saying, this man was sent from God, whose name was John, he came as a witness to bear witness of the Messiah, of the Christ, he says instead, he came to bear witness about the light, that all might believe through him. What's the difference? All of us experience the benefits of light. It's a universal experience. With the exception of people who are born blind, everyone knows what light is. We know what it is. Now, we can't describe it. Physicists just bend themselves into knots about whether it's, you know, it's, a, it's measurable as a wave, but it travels as a particle, and quanta, and quarks, and various and assorted other arguments that involve a lot of math that I don't care about. Um, we all experience light. We all know its purpose. We all know its function. We know what it's for, right? Um, we, we, we live in it. We want to be in it. When you're in a dark place, what's the one thing that you want? You want light. When you're in a cave or a place where you can't find the light switch, how many of you have ever been in a room where the light switch was in an inordinate place and you could not find it? My, my personal favorite is I have absolutely no idea why the federal government doesn't regulate the location of light switches in other people's bathrooms. Because you, you walk into the bathroom, right? You go into the bathroom, somebody, you ask them, so where's the bathroom? And the bathroom's down on the right. And if, if they're courteous, 
Usually people will say the light is on the outside of the building. It's on the inside. It's, a, it's on, behind the door. It's wherever it is. You ever gone into one of those bathrooms and you close the door? And then you are looking everywhere. You're touching all the walls. You're, you're, nope, that's a towel. I don't know what that is. I'm hoping when the light comes on, it's not a person's body. I'm going, I'm trying to find the light. You are trying to find, there is nothing more desperate than that moment. Of course, you're too embarrassed to open the door and ask, hey, where's the light? Right? So you're like, now, now today we have cell phones. If you've ever done this one with a cell phone, you find, you're in the bathroom, you don't know where the light is, you just turn the flashlight on. You're like, there's got to be a light around here somewhere. You're going to wonder what's going on in the outside of your bathroom. Everybody's like, what is he doing? There's just flashlights going on. Should we tell him where the light is? Uh, you know, this is a moment. Or my other favorite is uh, the bathrooms that have timed lights. And if you're in there for a while, I don't think I need to get into more specifics, and it turns off on you. You're in the stall and it's suddenly gone dark and you're sitting there going, this is a difficult scenario. I need these lights back on. However, I'm in a compromised situation. Um, you know, the, the, you, when, you're, when you're in a dark place and you need light, you, you're desperate to get that light. You're desperate to find that light. Um, and so he, he describes this idea of he came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him, through the light, not through, Jesus, not through John, through the light. He's gonna, he describes the light as a person. He's talking about Jesus. He says that about John in verse, in verse uh, 8, he says, He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. Now, quick question. Why would John need to bear witness about light if we all know what light is? Why do we need John to tell us about the light? Because we're in the dark. We're not aware that we're in the dark before Jesus comes into our lives. We're living our lives. We're good. We're in good shape, right? Everything's going fantastic. And then the light then the light. Um, when you re replace a, a really, really dim light in a room with a really, really bright light in the room, and then you realize all the things that are wrong with that room. Um, you know, it's like, uh, I, you know, you, I, I painted the ceiling. If you guys want to, <laughs> you guys want to see what it looks like when somebody tries to paint the ceiling of their office in the dark, you should go in my office and look at the ceiling. There are huge passages, patches of it that I completely missed, and I'm too lazy to go back and repaint it. <laughs> you know, it's, I don't know, how often do I see the ceiling? I can barely see it. I mean, if I get my contacts in, the ceiling just looks like a white blur to me anyway at that distance, so I'm fine. Um, they, when we're in the dark, we don't, realize, we don't realize how in the dark we are until the light comes. And he said, I came to bear witness of the light. It's the true light which gives light to everyone that was coming into the world. As John describes, as the gospel writer John describes Jesus, he describes Jesus as a light coming into the darkness. Now he will use, John will refer to Jesus as the light, all right, 16 times. Sixteen times he will refer to Jesus as the light. 
that people didn't realize they were in the darkness until the light came, that the, the light illuminates things that are missing, that the light shows us uh, our lives that we didn't realize were broken. Now, here's something that you need to understand about this gospel because he is showing the light. When the lights first go on in a dark room, do you see everything there is in the room? It takes a while to look around and see everything that's happening, all right? It takes a while when you've been blind for a while to take in what is happening. And John's gospel is very much written in a non-chronological way, but rather in a kind of, did you see this? Did you know this? What about this kind of way? It is a testimony in the narrative. It is a narrative that isn't necessarily a chronological one. So when you read John's gospel, you cannot read John's gospel. You can't read anything that John writes, including the book of the Revelation, and, and take it as a solid chronology. Uh, John tends to look around and make arguments from point to point to point, rather than just saying A and B and C and D. Um, how many of you loved outlining in school? Oh, good. All right. I'm in good company then. The doctor raised his hand. Um, but but uh, outlining is the most artificial thing in the world, isn't it? It's like, it's like when you have a conversation, I, when I'm having a conversation with you, and I sit down to talk to you, I was like, okay, point one, sub point A. No one talks like that. We, we don't talk like that. And, and so outlining is a very unnatural way of, of describing things. Now, not that it's not useful. It's a, it's a useful tool for organizing things. But when we have conversations, they tend to be like John writes his gospel, kind of all over the place, telling stories that fit in all over the place. Um, at one point, Jesus, Jesus is in Samaria. At another point, Jesus is going to Hanukkah. It's actually the only appearance of Hanukkah is in the book of John. Um, the, uh, it's not in the Old Testament. It's, a, it's something that came later. Um, and, uh, you know, there's, and he's all over the place. Sometimes he's talking to Pharisees. Sometimes he's talking to Jews. Sometimes he's talking. There's just all kinds of things. It's because as the light is being illuminating our world, John is showing us different parts of it. And then he says about this, he says, so just to go, he says, the light was coming into the world. The light which gives light to everyone, verse 9, was coming into the world. And now John is going to give us one of his triplets. He loves these triplets. He was in the world. The world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. All right? So he says, so Jesus was as real as John the Baptist. He was historical. He was in the world. He was part of the world. And yet he was more than the world because the world was made through him. He was the agent by which all of this exists. And the world did not know him. Now, in some ways, that's excusable, isn't it? If God himself takes on flesh and walks among us, are human beings likely to see that as what it is. So I don't want John, I want you to think that John is passing a condemnation here. The condemnation is actually that they did not believe, not that they didn't recognize him. But John says when when Jesus came into the world, he was the one who created the world and the world missed it. Now, 
I'm in the minority on this point. I'm going to go ahead and tell you that I think that John is describing his own experience with Jesus. That Jesus was physically in front of John. John journeyed with Jesus. John refers to himself, the gospel writer refers to himself as the beloved disciple, the one that Jesus loved. He, he probably was Jesus' best friend. But John, who was, saw Jesus in the world, now knowing that Jesus was the creator, the son of God, he recognizes that he did not see him. He did not know him. Until the resurrection, he did not know. And that's where John's going. John goes all the way to the resurrection before uh, the gospel, actually, the disciples actually figure out who Jesus is. He was in the world. The world was made through him. The world did not know him. He came to his own. This is another one of his triplets. He came to his own. His own people did not receive him, but to all who did receive him, who were believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. So he says, he was in the world. The world was made by him. The world did not know him. He came to his own in the world. They didn't receive him. But... The opportunity exists for us all to believe and become the children of God. Now, we could, uh, we could break up all kinds of stuff. and There's a million things that I have written down that we talk about. But what's really happening here? What's really happening here? Uh, John, John first gives us the theological context in verses 1 through 5, and then he gives us the historical context when he talks about John, and then he gives us the meeting of those two things when he describes the light being in the world. The world was made through him, but the world did not know him. He came into his own, and his own did not receive him, but as many as believe... Uh, can receive him. He's talking about, he's bringing that theological reality and that historical reality together into Jesus. And John's job, John the Baptist's job, is to bear witness at the beginning of the intersection of the, uh, the transcendent and the mundane. The, the, our world is the mundane and the world of God is the transcendent. John the Baptist bears witness, and we'll see as it comes along, he will bear witness as Jesus, the transcendent one, intersects with the mundane and all of the complications that happen in that intersection. So if there's a big idea today, it is this. Don't worry if you don't get it. It's a big, big thing. We are talking, when we're reading the book of, of, of the gospel of John, we are talking about the intersection of two worlds, uh, one of which cannot explain the other. When we talk about Jesus, we are talking about a mystery that has confounded people for thousands of years and will continue to confound them until Jesus comes back. How does it work? How could he be God the Son and a man? How, how could he be crucified and raised again? How could his, his, how could his life, death, burial, and resurrection, how could that be the atonement of sins? All these things, if you don't get it, you're in good company. John didn't get it. 
We're not even entirely sure that John the Baptist, who's actually bearing witness of Jesus, got it. At one point, one of the other Gospels, John the Baptist is in prison, and he sends a messenger to Jesus and says, so just curious, are you the one we're looking for? So often we want answers that fit our expectations. John embraces the mystery of the transcendent God dwelling in the mundane. He embraces it in all the most extraordinarily paradoxical places. Jesus goes to a wedding. None of the other Gospels record that one. He goes to a wedding that was poorly planned. It doesn't have enough wine. Jesus goes to a Samaritan woman. Jesus has a, a late-night conversation with a, a leader of the Pharisees. Jesus meets an adulterous woman who's about to be stoned on a dusty path. All right? Jesus goes to the Festival of Lights. Jesus goes to the funeral of one of his best friends. Jesus does all these things in John that normal people do, and yet it never works out the way normal situations do. If you and I show up at a wedding and there's not enough wine, well, if you're Italian, that's probably a good thing. Because they can get out of control. All right? But normally, you show up to a barbecue and there's not enough food. What do you do? You go to the store, you get more food. Jesus shows up, there's not enough wine. He turns water into wine. He turns the sacred cleansing water, the water for washing your hands, into wine, which is an interesting thing that he does. We'll get to that when we get to that passage. Um, he goes, a Samaritan woman. He has a conversation with her when he's not supposed to have a conversation with a woman. He confronts the Roman governor. At the end, Pontius Pilate asks him questions and Jesus gets all evasive. I mean, he is just messing with the, this, the mundane. You sit there and go, why? Why does it? Because the transcendent is intersecting with the mundane and it's okay if we don't get it. It's okay if that truth has to exist in a little bit of tension. What is faith if faith is not believing that the transcendent God intersects with the mundane world and I don't understand how all that works. If I could understand it, it wouldn't be faith. Right? I mean, if, if, I, could, if I could reduce down to the deity of, I was like, you know, I have the three laws of the hypostatic union. That's the word for God's divine nature and his, or Jesus' divine nature and his human nature being united together. I figured it out. I have the laws and I can reproduce it in a laboratory. First of all, you're a heretic. But secondly, um, it doesn't work that way. There's a mystery to it. Not everything has answers. Some things have tension. Some truth exists in tension. And Jesus is one of those realities. He exists the transcendent God in the mundane world and John is perfectly okay with that. And John the Baptist will bear witness at the beginning of that intersection. So on your faith journey, be okay with not having all the answers. Now for some of you, that is not okay. Some of you are people that have answers to everything, whether the question is being asked or not. Others of you are like, sweet, this is not a test. I get tense when there's answers I'm supposed to know. Somewhere in between are the rest of us. They're sitting there going, I, I want to know, but I want to learn to, to walk and I want to learn to embrace 
the mystery. And make no mistake about it, Jesus is mysterious. He does not always make sense. You say, you're not allowed to say that. You're the pastor. It's true. He does not always make sense. He almost never does what we think he should do. And yet everything he does is always better than what we would have done. He is truly extraordinary. And John, as an old man, the Gospel of John as an old man looking at Jesus and going, wow. He shed light on a world that we didn't even know was dark. And I don't understand how, I didn't understand how it worked then. I'm not entirely sure I understand how it works now, but I'll follow him. I will follow him. We'll meet John, actually, uh, in a couple weeks. A couple weeks he will actually show up uh, at, with his brother James, and we'll, we'll see their interaction with Jesus. Let's have a word of prayer. It is not enough, Father, that we have all the answers. You give us the answers to some things, but there's always more questions. Help us to follow in faith and mystery. Help us to be okay with not having all the answers, not having the time frame, not having everything broken down for ourselves but to simply be in your presence, to walk with you, to journey with you, and with others who are journeying with you, and see you revealed day after day, knowing that one day we will stand again in your presence, and we will know as we are known, and we will come to see all of the extraordinary things that you are, But now, between this and that moment where we cross into your presence, may we simply learn to love. May we learn to journey and walk with you. To have faith in the spaces that we do not understand. And to follow even when sometimes we don't understand where you're going. We pray this all in your name.